This recording has been produced by Christchurch, Jerusalem. For more information, visit us at cmj-israel.org. Welcome everybody to our Bible study, Wednesday night Bible study here at Christchurch in Jerusalem. Uh, you can see it on the map here, it's the center of the universe. And we are wrestling with uh, Moses' last speech. His, his, this is actually his last day of life, and yet he will um, give the longest monologue in the entire Bible. And at the end, he will break into song. And why would you not do that on your, on your dying day? Um, and uh, we, we've been examining his instructions to the people of Israel as they're about to cross the Jordan to set up what is hopefully going to be a just society and righteous society that reflects the character of God and shines a light to the Gentiles. Um, and and, uh, and it, what we've been doing is we've been studying the, the things that Moses says and things that he doesn't say. I mean, we've got the first four books of the Bible, and so you would think, or you, he was going to retell the Torah, he would just quote that, that he doesn't. So there are things that he says and things that he doesn't say. For example, when Moses describes the festivals, he only includes the pilgrimage ones of Passover, uh, Pentecost, and uh, Sukkot. He does not mention Yom Kippur, doesn't mention Rosh Hashanah, doesn't mention any of the uh, other, uh, other ones. He downplays um, the, he, the role of the tabernacle. He d d does not describe many of the sacrifices. In fact, he only describes two. And, um, and, but he introduces material, for example, a king. This is the type of government you're going to have. But then the type of king that he's going to have is going to be a limited monarch. Um, and he also has some pretty uh, big instructions for what the Levites should do. Um, so there is a couple of theories about um, the Torah. One is the Torah is simply five books that we know at the Pentateuch. Um, the first five books of the Bible, the Law of Moses. Another version um, which has been gaining traction is that it's actually only four books with one book of commentary. This, this last book is the commentary, and it becomes the most popular, like the, like the, uh, the summation of it all. Uh, Deuteronomy is the book that is most quoted in the New Testament. It's quoted over 300 times, and it seems to be what the most popular book in the Second Temple period. Uh, and a, and a, a more recent version is that the Torah is actually six books, that Joshua is actually the outplanning of everything that Moses talked about. So what you find in Deuteronomy redoubles back in, in, um, in, in Joshua. So um, God will talk to Moses, but God will also talk to Joshua. Moses will hold his hands up. And uh, at the Battle of Amalek in Exodus, Joshua will hold his hands up when he, when he defeats, but he'll have a spear in it, uh, when he defeats the Battle of Ai. And there are a whole bunch of other little parallels um, that go along there. Uh, I'm not 100% convinced, but it's a nice little, little modern theory. Okay, so we will begin, and we'll begin with a word of prayer. What I'm going to do is I'm going to mute everybody. Okay, so everybody is now muted by me, and you can unmute yourselves when you want to make a comment. And, uh, and what this does is this just keeps the background noise down, so we don't hear you washing your dishes, chewing your food, phone calls, uh, or, or, or dogs. And uh, we'll begin with prayer. So Neville, would you be able to lead us in prayer as we begin? Yes, 
Yes, uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace to us this day, Lord, for the blessings we see and those we don't see. Lord, your love is amazing and, and envelops all of us. And thank you, Lord, that we can join together over such a distance and join around your word. And we ask, Lord, that you would bless us by your presence and lead, guide us by your spirit and anoint Aaron's words as he teaches us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. So... What we normally do is uh, we read the notes uh, from last week's study. So last week we had studied Deuteronomy 18 verses 1 to 13. And this is a summary from our discussion. Moses is from the tribe of Levi, whose membership in the current, current world accounts for 8% of world Jewry, if you include the Cohens. So Cohens and Levi's account for 8% of all world Jews which if you consider that there are 12 tribes, that is one twelfth. So they're right on track. They are a tribe with no territorial allotment, except several cities of refuge spread throughout the land of Israel and across the Jordan. With limited access to farming land, that is, the refuge cities will still produce some light industry and have some agriculture, but not a great deal. The Levites must be sustained by their fellow Israelites. So how will this be done? The Torah says this will come in the form of portions, 10% of the tithe that is noted in Numbers 18. So this tithe was not considered sacred. Right? So you would bring a tithe to the Lord, but it itself wasn't considered sacred. Sacrifice might be. But because it wasn't considered sacred, the Levites could take it home. It didn't have to remain in, in, the, in the tabernacle or in the other sanctuary at Shiloh. Okay, so the Levites were going to be sustained by their fellow Israelites with a portion of the tithe. Moses affirms the calling that the Levites have to minister before the Lord. They have been chosen by God. Previously, in chapter 17, we had noted that kings are chosen by God. And now so too is the priesthood. The priestly class will also function as the judiciary within the society. They will be paid ministers, I'll be poorly paid, but nonetheless, they will be sustained by the community and not engaged in the full economy. And this is a pattern that we see in the teachings of Paul, who incorporates this community support for the community shepherds in his epistle to the Galatians, Galatians 6.6. 6. One who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. He also writes the same sentiments in his instructions to Timothy and to the Corinthians. We noted that despite the injunction to owning property, we find Barnabas, also known as Joseph the Levite from Cyprus, selling land in Acts 4, verse 36. In our discussion, uh, of the technicalities, we noted that the text restricts Levites to land in Israel, but not outside of it. Thus, we assume that following the destruction of the temple and subsequent exile, the Levites lost their primary function within society and began to partake fully in the economy, which would include owning land, starting businesses. We also noted that the Levites could choose to freely enter service in the tabernacle at Shiloh 
or the temple in Jerusalem, whenever they so desired, they were not restricted to the allotment by time. This is described in verses 6 to 8. Josephus says that only four divisions of priests survived the exile of Babylon. Compare that to the list that we find in 1 Chronicles. Okay, it gives a list of 24 priestly uh, divisions. Josephus says that when they got out of Babylon, there was only four left. This complicates the timing of the allotment of the division of Avia, the division of Zechariah prior to this encounter with the angel in the temple in the Gospel of Luke. Why? It's further complicated by the corruption instigated by the Maccabees. Uh, within what remained of the post-exile priestly families. By the late Second Temple period, the majority of the priestly class were no longer de the descendants of the Bene Zadok. Zadok was the first high priest in the Temple of Solomon, and subsequent priests were called after him. They were the sons of Zadok. The Dead Sea community may be a legitimate priestly class, and in their writings, they note that there are 26 priestly courses. So they somehow seem to have added to the original 24 an extra two. That just adds to the confusion surrounding the Jerusalem priesthood. So what we have is in the late Second Temple period, we have a corrupted priesthood. We do not know exactly which divisions are left, and we do not know which orders they're in. Plus, we have an injunction that says in Deuteronomy, you can show up whenever you feel like it. Uh, and so the... the uh, a lot of people have gone for trying to figure out that they can time the birth of the Messiah. If we really needed to know, we'd know. What happened in the late Second Temple period is it has become very, very confusing. And we need to be honest in our scholarship and look. Uh, a, a good friend of mine has so many times said, um, your theology has to fit the Bible. Don't make the Bible fit your theology. And so what we actually end up finding is a lot of confusion running around in the Second Temple period. Moses again charges the Israelites to avoid the occult and the pagan practices of the Canaanites. They are, as he says, detestable to the Lord. Light should never resemble darkness. Or as verse 13 says, you are to be blameless before the Lord your God. Moses warns that there is a natural curiosity and allure towards magic in man. And we see this curiosity in today's society, represented in art, literature, and the movies. Everything from simple astrology to white magic and modern pantheism. Magic is real and should not be denied to exist. While seemingly innocent or even truly powerful, the source behind that power is demonic. That power originated in heaven, and it should have remained there. Jewish literature of the Second Temple period describes in detail how the fallen angels brought that teaching to man. And the epistle of James chapter 3 notes that this power is no longer heavenly and it is demonic. Instead, we should seek purity within the community. Why? because the presence of God is in our community. The final result of the occult is death and exile from the land. The punishment is the same both for Jews and Gentiles. Canaan will be removed from the land, and unfortunately, so too will Israel.
Okay, so that was our little discussion on, uh, on the first portion of Deuteronomy, where we, we, we discovered that the priesthood is once again also chosen, uh, just like the kings. Now we break into prophets, who are also chosen by God. So who's chosen by God? Prophet, priests, kings, which is a nice little order. All right, so I'll read Deuteronomy 18, verse 4. 14 to the end, and that will be the portion we study tonight. The nations you will dispossess, listen to those who practice sorcery or divination. But as for you, the Lord your God has not permitted you to do so. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites, and you must listen to him. For this is what you asked of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, Let us not hear the voice of the Lord our God, nor see this great fire any more, or we will die. The Lord said to me, What they say is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites, and I'll put my words in his mouth, and he will tell them everything I command him. I myself will call to account anyone who does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name. But a prophet who presumes to speak in my name anything I have not commanded or a prophet who speaks the name of other gods is to be put to death. You may say to yourselves, how can we know when a message has not been spoken by the Lord? If what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, that is a message the Lord has not spoken. That prophet has spoken presumptuously. So do not be alarmed. All right. So that's our portion that we're going to be wrestling with today. So on an initial reading, is there anything there that jumps out at you? I know we read it uh, last week as well. Is there anything there that uh, stood out this time when we, when we read it? Oh, just one thought about this issue about the prophet saying something that doesn't come to pass. Uh, we have quite a lot of examples of those in the Bible, like Jonah getting really miffed that Nineveh wasn't destroyed like he was told to say. But it, the, the point is it's more nuanced than that. You know, there's, there's room for repentance to which this, this passage sort of simplifies it. But anyway, so you can't always... Uh, you know, t the plain meaning sometimes needs to be qualified. Is what I'm, I suppose, I'm saying. Yeah. But also, also, Aaron, uh, in Ezekiel, the Lord specifically says that those prophets that are speaking words that He didn't give them, He will personally deal with. Yep. Well, he says He's going to deal with them here too. But yes, yeah. It's a. I. I, I I haven't had the guts to do this, but I'd like to actually. Now that the more the older I get, the the, the more braver I get. Isn't that great? Uh, I'd love to go with somebody who's prophesying in the name of the Lord and just walk up to them and go, "God's going to have a real nice talk with you if this doesn't work out." Okay, you know, <laughs> and uh, and we're watching um, because uh, we've got quite a lot of or have had quite a few interesting prophecies sprouted around the place. And um, very rarely do they seem to come to pass, uh, which tends to mean that uh, they're not from God or God keeps changing his mind, which 
yeah, I don't think actually happens. And Aaron, isn't there, isn't there also scripture in the Bible which the Lord says that even if the prophet does speak to you and it does come to pass, but it's the purpose is to lead you away from the to yeah. false idols, God's yeah. testing the people. So it's that not just as simple as something coming to pass or not coming to pass. It's yeah. also going to line up with the word of God. Absolutely. It's actually uh, earlier in Deuteronomy, he talks about um, a series of people who could make signs that actually work and they actually could perform power uh, and wonders, but yeah. they would lead people astray to worship false gods. So just because something comes to pass is, is true. Does not all then mean that they're actually um, uh, a true prophet? So we've got all kinds of issues now, haven't we? We've got these guys running around who can do great stuff, who speak sometimes in the name of the Lord, uh, and it might not look like they're actually leading us astray. Um, how do we tell the difference? Especially when God says, I am going to raise up prophets. It's going to happen. They're supposed to be there. And I know that in uh, most of our commentaries and stuff, uh, we'll get to Malachi and then we'll flip a blank page. Usually it's a blank page that separates our two testaments together. And, um, and then we get started into Matthew and this sort of idea that we've had 400 years of the silent years and nothing's actually happened. Um, and that's actually not true. So, Aaron? yes. Can I, can I go? Go right ahead. Go, Connie. Oh, I don't know how to do this, so I'm just talking. Um, isn't it also in Scripture that says the prophet will have a near prophecy that has to come true and a far prophecy that has to come true for them to be a true prophet of, of the Lord? Uh, that's a good question. I don't know. I haven't uh, didn't see that Scripture. Does anyone know that Scripture off the top of their head? Um, but I am going to write that down and look that up because uh, usually what happens – yeah, what studied. happens, Connie, is people talk and I learn something myself. And so I get my little pen because I'm always coming armed with this pen. And I'm going to be looking at near and far prophecies. Yeah, I believe I studied that when I studied Ezekiel, that um, that is one way that false prophets were proven to be false prophets is they gave a near prophecy, which didn't come true. And then they had to wait for a, fall, a far prophecy to come true, which Ezekiel actually did. Yeah. And then they knew he was a true prophet, but yet what Israel yeah. did anyway. Do you know what the source was of that? I have to find it. It might have been uh, Fruchtenbaum or Zilk or something. <laughs> Aaron, Aaron, that's also in Ezekiel. The Lord specifically speaks about those who say, thus saith the Lord. Yep. And so, yes. Yeah. yeah. We have to be very careful when, when we, when we, when, if, if anyone in our community or we ourselves want to do that. However, uh, what I want to say is we also have to balance the tension because we don't want prophecy to cease. Because when you get into the New Testament, it talks about that this is a gift and it's actually an office. There's this thing called the prophet. And in the Second Temple period, you had two types of prophets. You had the literary prophet, the one that actually writes stuff down. And then you had the social prophet or the prophet that's within the community who prophesies. And we don't even know what that is. So you had schools of prophets. Saul joined the prophets. Saul did prophecies, but you don't get a book called the Book of Saul, right? You know, and, and uh, these kinds of things. And there are some prophets like um, 
the ones who actually have the spirit, which is uh, Elijah and Elisha, who actually don't write any books at all. Right? They're, they're, they're in, in other books and nothing named after them, named after themselves. And uh, when you get to, to the New Testament, you end up having um, Jesus as a baby go into the temple. And who does he meet? Zachariah. He meets Anna, the prophetess. And she's been a prophetess ever since her husband died, right? So she's actually been there for over half a century prophesying. So prophecy had not faith, d disappeared. It just didn't create a literary work, okay? But it did exist in the community. And, uh, and the New Testament says they should be existing in our community. Uh, and one of the signs of the end times, the last days, is the spirit of God's going to be poured out on all flesh and everyone will Everyone will prophesy, okay? So, um, and that's what Paul says, I wish you would all have the gift of prophecy. So there's this thing called prophecy. There's going to be this thing called prophets, and we're not 100% sure what they all do. However, here is Moses talking to the children of Israel, and he's going to die today. So obviously we got some issues. Boss is going to die, and we're not going to have an election. We're going to make Joshua the king, but... The, the, the promise is there's going to come someone like Moses. Okay. Yeah, so, Aaron, hey, hey, are we sure that's what it says in the uh, Hebrew? Yeah, okay. We'll have a little look. Yeah. Naamah and uh, Kaylee are here. They can tell us. Okay. But let's, um, let's, so Yvonne, you first, and then. We'll yeah, well, I, I, I'm not sure. I'm interesting to see where this is going to go, that comment. But I thought that's so interesting because um, that same, you know, the same idea that he's going to raise up a prophet like, you know, that, that like me from among your brothers. And it's the same thing that Peter spoke at Solomon's portico in Acts. And it's just, it's, it's always, you know, uh, you know, a greater Joshua, a second, you know, a final Adam. And so I just think that I love those connections and I think they're fantastic. And um well, I'm going to see where, where the Hebrew is going to go with this, but, but I thought that's, it's always that, you know, the Lord is being, you know, Yeshua yeah. is being greater Moses, the greater, you know, the second, the last Adam, you know, right. the, the final Joshua and Isaac, etc. <clears throat> well, one of the connections, I think, is that under Lord Jesus, specifically when he does the, uh, I think it's the Beatitudes or whatever, uh, Lord Jesus, in effect, is taking us on an exodus. Okay. I think everybody has their own personal Exodus story. Yeah. I mean, we all, uh, the God, God takes you from a place of darkness, captivity. He redeems you and then he introduces himself and then you get his law, hopefully written on your heart. It's a, it's a, I think that pattern is all there uh, as well. But, but also, Aaron, in, in effect, because we're waiting for the new Jerusalem, we are actually waiting for that promised land as well. As well, yeah. Yeah, all, all of that, you know, so that's quite esoteric, but yeah, it's right there. So looking at the actual text, verse 14, the nations that you will dispossess, again, a, a lot of the sacred history of Moses is to constantly remind the people of Israel that they are not the natural inhabitants of Israel. Right? They, they, you can't be born in Israel and think, oh, I, I've been here since time immemorial and there was no one here before me and, uh, you know, the, the rocks are, are mine. Um, 
he's constantly saying this is an inheritance. You were somewhere else. You were just slaves. There was another nation here ahead of time. And, uh, and you're going to dispossess them. Why? Because their evil is now complete. Right? Um, and they practice sorcery and they practice divination. And as in, in the previous chapters, they also burnt their children and they, and they, and they worshipped false gods. But you, you're not permitted to do this. So the, one of the, the word divination there is the, is the, the desire to, to know something, to, to look for that hidden knowledge, right? to hear something, to get a dream or a vision. Um, but that is not permitted for us. So how do we get this? The Lord your God will raise up a prophet. Okay? You don't go and look for those dreams and, and visions. They'll come to you in the form of a prophet. Okay? And, uh, the, and the word is there. God will raise up okay, a prophet like me. Come on in. Yes. So it's like me. Okay? And um, uh, from among you. It's going to be an Israelite prophet. Okay? Uh, even though in the Bible you're going to have non-Israelite prophets as well. Does anyone know the name of one of them? Should just jump out because he's been in the Bible already. He's in numbers. Balaam. Balaam. Somehow these Gentiles can also uh, get this, uh, this, this knowledge that they're not supposed to, which goes in line with the idea that there is this real power. It wasn't supposed to be here. It has come down here and it can be accessed by by um by people probably the reason why it's so attractive um because it's actually real but we shouldn't have anything to do with it that's the 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 warning from the lord however god will be able to speak and bring these dreams and visions and he will do so through these things called prophets because they've already had a couple so who's been leading the people of israel that's actually a prophet moses and Aaron. Aaron and, and Miriam. Miriam. Women are prophets. Yay, the women. And according to Jewish tradition, what's Miriam's uh, most famous for? What was her special, special gift? Finding, Finding water. water. Finding water, yes. Uh, Miriam has a very interesting career. Um, she says absolutely nothing in the Bible until after they drown all the Egyptians and then she breaks into song. Um, it's the first time she actually... Um, delivers a, a, a speech um, and then you end up, uh, which is very interesting because then another Miriam uh, essentially does almost the same thing, right? Um, and which is a very interesting little uh, take mm -hmm. on, on, on the way God keeps doing the same thing. Um, God is going to raise up a prophet. So the prophet is going to be chosen by God. So priests are chosen, kings are chosen, prophets are chosen. And you have to listen to him, and uh, which is now going to cause, uh, I guess, an issue because this is a command from the Lord. Um, and so the, you know, God says, go listen to him. Well, how do I make sure that it's actually from him? But I, mean, I don't want to get this wrong. And so we're going to have to create some, some rules. And then you get this little, little piece of uh, history or it's almost like a proof text that Moses 
is using, like a good little rabbi, even there's no such thing as rabbis back then, um, to say this is exactly what we should be doing. Because um, we, we all remember the time when we were standing behind this big mountain, there was lots of fire and lots of smoke, and it was all kind of frightening. And, uh, and the name of the mountain is Horev, which is the most common name for Mount Sinai. And again, we don't know why we call the mountain Horev, because it means destruction and uh, ruin. And, uh, but doesn't seem like the, a good name for a mountain for God to set foot on. Uh, and there, there is one tradition that the mountain no longer exists because it was destroyed after the children of Israel moved away, that it actually, it's just now a big hole in the ground. Um, I'm not 100% sure that's a good tradition, but it is there. Um, they actually had already requested not to hear the voice of God. They couldn't stand it. And so you ended up with the mediator, um, Moses, uh, uh, always saying whatever God said to him. And, um, and what's interesting is verse 17. What, is the, what does God say to this suggestion by humans? What does he say? They're correct in what they did and what they said. Yeah, what they say is good. Yeah, it's a good idea. Um, what an interesting thing for the Lord to say, you know, where, as opposed to the God, the king of the universe, just talking and saying, this is what it's going to be like, people, and you're all going to just listen to my voice because, you know, I want to talk. Um, instead, they turn around and say, we can't handle it. It's just, it's just too, too much. We're all about to die. Um, one, uh, there are some Jewish commentaries on this verse uh, which say um, that it wasn't the, the, the dying in a negative way. They were going to die from just absolute ecstasy from hearing the voice of heaven. It was absolutely just that wonderful. They were going to kill over and die. Their hearts were going to explode in you know, rapture. Um, that's a nice fanciful take on it. But anyway, it's just, it's just one of those things. There's always two sides to the to a to to a coin. Um, I had a little chuckle when I read that one. So, but the, but isn't it interesting? God says, "Yeah, they've come up with a pretty good idea." These humans and um, and what they say is good, and so I'm going to do it. Uh, and so I'll talk through these things called prophets. Okay, so now I'm going to raise up someone kamocha like you. Okay, so Moses says kamoni and kamocha like me, like you from among your fellow Israelites, and I'll put my words in his mouth. Well, it's going to be something very special, and he will tell them everything I command him. And so you end up with uh, this interesting, all through the, the Torah, you ended up with these, this, this God said to Moses to go tell Aaron, and which is interesting because Aaron's the high priest, and shouldn't he, and he's also a prophet, um, shouldn't God be speaking to him too? God does speak to him, but rarely. And so when, when, you, when you do get those times where it says, and the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, those are some very interesting things that God is saying now because now you've got uh, him talking to them both. Uh, and we don't seem to have a, 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 a section that says, and God said to Miriam to go tell Aaron. So you don't end up with lots of that going on. Don't know why 
because Miriam is also known as a prophet. She was actually one of the more uh, well-liked ones. Um, so we have these, uh, uh, this, this collective reference that um, God is going to raise up for them, the Israelites, a prophet like you. So how often is he going to do this? Is he going to do it once? Is it only going to occur just the once? I think we can fit lots of people into this description. Yeah. I mean, Samuel, I think, would be a, a reasonable choice. Yep, that's a, yes, that's a good one. The, uh, what's interesting is God chooses a priesthood. He chooses a king and he chooses a prophet. And as you go through the sacred history of Israel, the prophets and the kings um, often worked not always well together. They were often antagonistic. Okay. Um, and, uh, uh, the, and I think we've mentioned this before, but there was only one king of Israel who didn't have a prophet, and his name was? Solomon. Solomon. Okay. Solomon's the only king of Israel that has no prophet. David has two. He has Gad and Nathan. Uh, uh, some prophets managed to survive a series of kings, uh, and some did not. Um, but the, uh, it does appear that there's going to not just be one. So you end up with this reference, that, and, and we often use it, we're looking for the new Moses. But they were looking for the new Moses all of the time. And we're always looking for who's going to be the guy who's actually going to be telling us about God. Okay. What's your, what have you got, Connie? Um, isn't the, that one of the key words in this is like me? So it would have been someone like Moses who brought the people out of slavery, brought them into their own land, and um, what was the other thing Moses did? And worshiped the Lord their God as one. So wouldn't this like me be what um, the similarities of what Moses was like, not any other prophet? So not like Joel, not like um, Malachi, Ezekiel or anybody, but like Moses. So there to me is a distinction here that it's like Moses, not like anybody else. Okay. So and the work Moses did. Erin, can I say something? I have to, in a sense, agree with what Connie's saying. From my perspective, when you look at the New Testament, they had a, it seems to be when they're talking about Lord Jesus, some say, isn't he that prophet? It's referring to like what they're saying about what Moses was saying. So there was an expectation this is a very special prophet. Yes. In Jewish, yeah. in Jewish exegesis, you always have multiple levels of reading each, each text. So you have on one hand, yes, we're looking for the almost the exact replica of Moses. Come on, me, like me, mm -hmm. right? And then, then you go down the next level. Every generation is looking for a prophet like Moses, and you get prophets, but perhaps they're not all like Moses. So what does it mean to be like Moses? And Connie uh, mentioned a few details. So. So what are some of the characteristics of Moses? And I want the good and the bad. Don't just give me the good because our hero Moses doesn't, has some bad qualities to him. Are we supposed to be like him in that? Aaron, before you go any further, where 
how come I hear from many Jewish, not many, but a few Jewish believers that it's really one greater than as opposed to like me? Have you, have you not heard of this before? Or is this something that's just made up? I've uh, heard of the greater than. Yeah, because it's actually in, uh, in, in, in the New Testament, one greater than Moses is here. Mm-hmm. You have, you I, have, I can't find that, yeah. yeah. Okay, that's the, that's the reference there, Roddy. So we're, we're um, reading, reading back, but let's, let's read forward. Okay, let's 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 okay. try and take some of the, the the teaching that Moses is giving to the people of Israel as they're about to cross into Jordan, right. and knowing he's going to die today, this is it, and he doesn't want the people of Israel to be without a voice from heaven, and the people of Israel don't want to be without a voice from heaven. They want someone to be talking to them, and so he's giving them a a little bit of hope. There's going to be one like me. You're not going to be left alone. There will be some some shepherds. He's already told them you're going to get a king. He's already told them you're going to have priests. So is that going to be enough? No. We need to, we need to, to put the, the icing on the cake here and have this thing called a prophet. Um, so what is it? What are some of the characteristics of Moses that we're looking for? He was okay. humble. So one one characteristic of a prophet is he should be humble. What are some of the other characteristics of Moses, perhaps, that you don't want your prophet to be? He was angry. Yes. <laughs> yeah, he's always angry. Okay, yeah, anger management problem. Okay. He killed uh, a man. Yeah, he killed a man. Yeah, he's a, he was a murderer. Okay. Um, and he's a coward. Mm-hmm. Okay. He runs away and he hides out in the desert for 40 years. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's quite a long time to be hanging out, getting married, having a bunch of kids and making money while farming and not doing anything to do with, you know, your eschatological redemption of the people of Israel. Um, he did trust the word of the Lord when he said, go to Pharaoh and speak. And he said, I don't have the tongue to speak. Someone should speak for me. Yeah. Phrasing that. So he didn't trust that the Lord could work through him, even though his tongue didn't work. Yeah. Well, his tongue didn't work at the start, but it sure works at the end. Yes, okay. does. <laughs> yeah, right. So, yeah, longest monologue in the Bible. Moses, Moses has figured out what to do with his lips. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and he's and he's and he's on for a roll. So, yes, there's some characteristics of Moses that you actually don't want your prophet to mimic. You know. So we've got a prophet from God. Oh yeah. What's your uh, criminal background check? Let's have it. Let's go down the list. Okay. Um, yes, great. Yeah. Anger management problem, yeah, murderer, drug dealer. Yeah, we're on, we're on. He must be, must be from God, this kid. Um, so there is this, there is a, a, some parts of the characteristics of Moses that we don't like. So let's focus on the, obviously the positive ones. So we've got a humble guy. Anything else? He was given the law to give to his people. Yeah, he was given the yeah, the Torah, the instructions, and uh, um, and Yeshua gave us the the new covenant law. Right there, you go. Also, he was the mouthpiece of the Lord God. Yeah. So, what does the high priest do then? The mouthpiece. Yeah. Well, Moses was a high priest, wasn't he? Until they appointed Aaron. Uh, I don't think so. No. The priesthood only comes through Aaron. Moses never, never. Uh, and, before and God gave Aaron that, there was no, there was no altar. There was no priesthood. Okay. Moses has a distinction of being described as 
the only person that God spoke to face to face. The face, yes. He actually has that honor in, 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 and in case, some cases eating with the Lord, mm. which is, and, uh, and that wonderful, as we preached on it a couple of weeks ago, where uh, Moses, you know, talk, while talking to God, says, just show me your glory. I, I'm dying to see your power. And God turns around and says, no, no, I'm going to show you my goodness. Um, you know, I'm going to show you what, what, what's the thing you need to see in me is that I'm good. And then you're going to share that with, with the people. One thing, Aaron, that is very similar to Lord Jesus is that uh, the Lord God said to Moses, you'll be like God to Aaron, to the people. Yeah, we, you do get that, and you get it in the Psalms too. That because uh, um, it was a, it's a, you know really spinning some of my mates out uh, that uh, God says you are gods, and you're sitting in the council of gods amongst the gods, and it's all using the same word Elohim, and it's uh, it's exactly the same word because it's the only word that you get to be able to say God in plural. Um, and trying to figure out what what exactly they mean by that. Uh, is is interesting. Um, so there's this going to be this characteristic of a prophet who's going to uh, be humble, but he's also going to present the teachings and the instructions of the Lord. This is one of the things he's going to carry with him, and uh, so it's got those two things come together. Um, uh, anything else that we might notice about our hero Moses? I of course, you know, adding on to, you know, he speaks to God, uh, he speaks to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. So there is that analogy of that friendship, more of yeah, an intimate. A good, a good friend of God. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and as we go through some of the prophets, you could probably see, like Samuel, there's a few of them who have that nice sort of characteristic. Uh, and there were others that not so much. Uh, and then there are some prophets that uh, we know very little about, like Ovadia, o Obadiah. Okay, very short book. We know nothing about that guy. Okay, um, Habakkuk, great book, but you know nothing about his personality or his family life or anything. You, you he's, these are the literary prophets seem to be slightly different. So you get this idea that God is going to be speaking to us through these people. Uh, it's going to be very important. Um, and it might happen with every generation. And at the same time, there's still that final prophet that comes. We haven't got a Messiah. They haven't created a Redeemer figure uh, that says we're going to be waiting for a Messiah. Um, but we do now get this idea that there's going to be something big that's going to be um, uh, uh, with the people. Aaron, but you know that, that people are already redeemed at this stage. Let's remember the people of Israel have already been taken out of Egypt. People of Israel already have the tabernacle in their midst. People that have already Israel have already had the opportunity to talk to God uh, with 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 this, and and we're about to enter the promised land. We've already defeated several giants and taken over cities. We've already got. The, uh, the east side of the Jordan. We've set up shop and, and already assigned the Levites their, their cities of refuge. Um, all of that has already actually happened. And, uh, and so on one hand, we're also not looking for the Redeemer to bring us out of Egypt. It's already happened. Okay? Um, and we're not actually expecting to go back into exile. However, that does happen. 
Okay, so Yvonne, yeah? No, it's just uh, that comment that I think, Roddy, the, you know, the prophet greater than Moses, it's from Hebrews yep. chapter 3. Yeah, for Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house. Yeah, the, yeah the writer of Hebrews um, really exalts uh, the person of Jesus, the Messiah, in every, in every way. That's um, one of the, the key, key themes of, the, of that book. Now, um, God himself says, I myself will call to account anyone who does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name. Oh, we got ourselves a warning from the Lord. So God is going to raise up a prophet. He's going to speak through him. And not only that, God's going to call the people who, who hear the words and don't listen to this guy into account. And so if you don't listen to the prophet of God, you're going to fall into the hands of the almighty God. This is not good. Um, so I'd better do whatever the prophet says. But a prophet, but now we, we switch it again, but a prophet who presumes to speak in my name, anything that I have not commanded, or a prophet who speaks in the name of the gods, well, him you've got to put to death. So the potential for things to go wrong, obviously, uh, result in a, in a death penalty. How much of this actually happens? Well, it certainly doesn't happen today. Um, uh, so we don't know. You may say to yourselves, how can we know when a message has not been spoken of by the Lord? That's a good question, and they asked that a long, long, long time ago, and we're still asking it today. What if a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true? Uh, that is a message that the Lord has not spoken. That prophet that has spoken presumptuously, so don't be alarmed. So there is a little way to test, but uh, the it's a still a little a little unclear about what we're supposed to do. So we need to create some rules. Our community needs to figure out which ones of these prophets may or may not be true and how do we know? So in the first temple period, they had a great prophet that started in the temple, in the tabernacle, and you know his name. His name was Daniel. And according to tradition, he starts a school of prophets. He actually figures out how to train these people to do this. You think, wow, boy, you can actually learn this stuff? I'm not 100% sure it's a school like we would normally have as a school. But they created this, this area where people who think that they've got this gift of prophecy would be able to congregate and essentially test it out before putting it out onto the people. And so what they would be called is they would be called the, the B'nai Nebi'im, the sons of the prophets. Okay? And you see these, this, that these schools exist and they develop, um, and they develop in the most bizarrest of places. So in the book of Kings, Elijah and Elisha are about to do a handover. And um, uh, Elijah says to Elisha, listen, you know, I'm going off uh, to Bethel to Beit El. And, um, and Elisha says, yeah, well, I'm coming with you. When they go there, they meet a school of prophets. And you go, well, that's interesting. What is Beit El famous for? Idolatry. Idolatry. 
Okay, this is where, you know, there's a, there's a pagan altar that had been set up by Jeroboam, and yet you've got a school of prophets there. And then they go off to Jericho, and when they get to Jericho, they also meet a school of prophets. But what's the problem with Jericho? God said you can't rebuild it. Yeah, it was cursed. Yes, it's a cursed, cursed ground. So we've got a cursed city and a place, a center of idolatry, and yet schools of prophets. And then they cross the Jordan and they go over into Moab. Oh my gosh, you know, not supposed to have anything to do with them. And you find more prophets. And you go, hang on, where where is God putting his his prophets? Where is God putting his heroes? Where it's dark. Galilee of the Gentiles. Yeah, where it's dark, you know, those walking in darkness, they get to see the great light. I mean, how are you going to recognize light if it's already light? Um, and, and, and who does God actually want to redeem? He wants to redeem the lost, right? So he goes to where they're lost. He wants to redeem people from darkness. So he sets up his heroes in, in, in realms of darkness. And it's interesting that the, in the first, this is all first temple. It's not second temple. There's first temple schools of prophets. So they had created this idea of, oh, we've got to figure out which one of these guys is like Moses. So they would, would practice. Even Saul would practice. And, uh, and, and do these things. And we don't know what any of their prophecies were because they never wrote them down. They just did it. And, uh, but they existed and they were, were, were part of the fabric of society. Um, and, uh, but you could, you, you could, within that school, you could test them. You could work out which ones actually had the gift, which ones actually were communicating uh, with heaven. Um, and you could look at their uh, character. Okay, you could you could see if they could walk walk the talk. And that idea that Moses is a humble, speaking uh, the name of the Lord, things that he says come to pass. But he also is a lawgiver. He also brought the instructions of God, and because he brought the instructions of God, um, there's a pretty good bet that he actually walked uh, the walk. So when you get into the, the New Testament or the, 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 the early believers, um, the first church or whatever you want to call it, um, they're going to have this issue is we are going to have these people called prophets. Now, I know that the Messiah, the one greater than Moses, has arisen. But does that mean prophecy stops? No, it doesn't. It, it, it doesn't say that one will come just like me and then no, there'll be no more prophecy. I mean, that'll just finish. Although there are some people who think that that's true. Okay? You, know, they'll, you know, the sort of outpouring of the Spirit, it happened once and then it stopped. Prophecy came with Jesus and then it stopped. Um, and, and, but I don't think any of us here actually would, would, would fit with that. Um, and so you've got a, a new... A community of Jews and Gentiles that are forming as followers of the Messiah with the knowledge that there's going to be this group of people called prophets. They are chosen by God, right? Kings are chosen, priests are chosen, and, uh, and, and prophets are chosen. And they're going to speak. But we've got this warning. What do we do? Okay. How do we, how do we, how do you actually test the spirits? So I have a question. Go right ahead. 
Okay. So what you said about um, prophets, that we still have them here today. What about Hebrews 1, where God said, I spoke long ago in many portions in many ways through the prophets. And in these last days, I have spoken, I'll quote it, I've spoken in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, for whom he also made the world. So with that, you know, iron sharpens iron. Um, how do you take that verse in Hebrews 1 and contrast it to that there are more, there are prophets this day and age when God spoke, said, now I, I'm speaking through my son. Yep. So. He's a prophet. He came as yes, a prophet. Yes, so, right. so Jesus is a prophet. He's mm -hmm. greater than Moses. He's the best of prophets. He's the Messiah. So, you know, he is all of those prophet, priest, and king, the whole chosen thing that, that, that you get. Kings were chosen. Messiah is chosen. Uh, priests are chosen. He's chosen, although technically he's only a priest when he's in heaven because on earth he's Judah. Um, but he's also um, the, the prophet. Too. Everything about him is chosen. Um, so there, there's this one figure, but there's also these other figures, just like every generation is looking for someone like Moses. So yet you have other prophets. So when you get into the New Testament, um, you have the prophecy from Joel that the whole the Spirit's going to be poured out on all flesh and all will prophesy. So in the book of Acts, after the Messiah is left, Peter says, these are the last days. Right? We're in the last days and we're all doing our little prophesying thing. And Paul, when he's talking to some Corinthians, uh, he says, I wish you would all prophesy. Right? And, uh, and in other epistles, I think it's... Is it Ephesians, where it discusses that there's this job function within the community called prophet? Aaron, may I ask a question regarding this? Uh, what's the difference between the gift of prophecy and, say, a prophet being called? Isn't it? And a prophet being what? Uh, for example, the Lord called Ezekiel or, or, or Philip's uh, daughter who were prophetesses, right? Or something like that. So, yeah, that's right. Uh, that's right. Philip had daughters who were prophetesses. Yeah. No, no. It says Philip had four daughters who prophesied. Oh, who prophesied. Okay. Yeah, that's slightly different. Okay. But I think in the New Testament, you can draw the distinction between, you know, the ministry, the gift of prophecy, manifestation of the spirit within the community. Yeah. And then you have these guys like Agabus, who actually clearly are a prophet they they carry that burden yeah and they are clearly um you know have a quality of uh, insight and revelation from the lord which is not that common right that's a that's a good way of putting it so that just like in the uh hebrew bible there seems to be uh, a type of prophet that's literary who says a certain word and then there are other prophets that are social who seem to have some impact in the society, but we're not quite 100% sure what they, what they do. And then in the, in the New Testament, we have all the, all the people having the gift of the Holy Spirit, the potential to prophesy, and yet then certain people with this special burden of a special role as in function of a prophet. Well, if these people exist, and they do, and the injunction from, um, the, from God is we have to listen to them, uh, well, how do we pick? How do we, what, what's the, the rule? And so we, we can see from the early church writings themselves, mainly the Didache, because it's the one that actually spells it out clearly, uh, is they wrestled and grappled with this. 
So the Didache is a book written um, approximately 90, so it's a, probably the first text outside of what we might call the Bible, although it was in the Bible initially for the first couple hundred years. Um, and it's literally called the teachings of the apostles. So it fleshes out um, what the early church looked like. Um, and for those who would like to know, um, it's a great book. I recommend everybody to have a read. And because um, uh, for a lot, especially being in Israel, people like to come here and they say, Aaron, we all want to go back to being like the early church. Like, I don't think you do. Um, here, read this book. And when you read it, you might not like it because they're fasting twice a day, uh, tw twice a week. Uh, they're praying three times a day, liturgical prayers. There's a whole bunch of uh, liturgy and order and stuff. And, and, and usually usually that's when all the Pentecostals leave, okay? Um, they just get a bit, bit stunned by what the early church actually looked like. Yeah. yeah. One thing that strikes you about the, the prophets spoken back in the Didache is that they had to be so careful about these itinerant prophets yes. who uh, went from fellowship, you know, from place to place, from fellowship to fellowship, and there were good and bad and ugly ones. You know, yeah. And they had to have rules of how long they were allowed to stay, how you provided hospitality and yeah. all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it, that's right. It gets very, it's very cool. They're, they're, the chapter of the book is chapter 11. So Didache chapter 11 gives you the, the title, because there's always somebody threw the titles in there, concerning teachers, emissaries, you know, the itinerant preachers, and prophets. And uh, so verse 1, whoever comes to teach you, this is a little community that's just showing up, uh, in accordance with all these things that are written here, receive him. Now, at the time of, of Jesus, synagogues didn't have rabbis, okay? Synagogues did not have a teacher. That was, this is our teacher, this is our rabbi. Rabbis are on the periphery. Rabbis are an invention of the Greeks. We have taken a Greek model of student-teacher and we've incorporated it into our environment. Uh, we have this place called the synagogue, which functions more like a community center, and you have elders those were the people who paid for the building, okay? So, yeah, they got the job. They took the control. You didn't give the job to somebody who was good at it. Um, and so when you needed a teacher, well, you hoped one showed up. So Paul had a great willing audience because he could always just say, hey, how are you doing? I've, I've trained. I've studied. Would you like me to say something? Please do. Um, and that was in operation in the early community too because you think about it. New communities are forming. Where do they get their shepherds from? They can't say, we'd like one fresh out of Bible college. We haven't invented Bible colleges yet. Okay. You know, we've, we're, where do you find your shepherds from? We don't sort of say, well, we'll hope some priest comes to faith from the temple and we'll take him. You know, um, you, you just don't have that stuff. So the early community functioned with a lot of itinerant teachers. People went around. They, they shared their shepherds, okay? They shared their Bibles because they didn't have Bibles. Right? They're all borrowing, trying to figure out, hey, you know, the guys next door, they've actually got a couple of extra books than us. They've got this thing called Luke. We've only got something called Matthew. You know? let's, should we? Let's get together and compare. Um, and uh, uh, you would have, they would share knowledge. So they were expecting these teachers to show up. Okay, so receive them. 
if the teacher himself goes astray teaching another doctrine, all right, which would undermine this doctrine, say something false, don't hear him. Um, but, is, but if his teaching pro provokes you to greater righteousness and increases your knowledge, welcome him. Right? So the way that you would, would test somebody is very similar to what uh, you find in, in Deuteronomy. Is he teaching my words? Right? Um, and if he's making you a better person, he's a, he's a, a, a real teacher. Okay. Um, emissaries. So we'll let every emissary that comes to you be received. So if a guy does show up, you have to actually bring him in. But he's not allowed to remain longer than one day. Right? They really didn't like these itinerants to stay too long. They had to keep moving, unless it was absolutely necessary, like rain, winter, or, uh, in which case he can stay another. But if once he gets past three days, suspect him of being a false prophet. Right? That was a thing, okay? So once, once the guy showed up, once you hit day four, that's when you start scratching and you go, oh, I'm not 100% sure this guy's uh, legit. Okay? Um, when the emissary leaves, send him only with bread enough to sustain him until his next destination. So just like you gave uh, a, a portion to the Levites that would never make them actually rich, they were never going to be a rich tribe, they were not going to create large portions of wealth. Um, they would only just have enough. Same with emissaries. So if you're hoping to be an itinerant preacher, the, the early church model was you're not going to make it rich. Okay? If he asks for money, then be assured he's a false prophet. Love that line. Okay? Um, and so prophets were never meant to be in the money-making business. And um, it, it, one of the things that grates on me is the um, sheer wealth that some churches have amassed over the, over the, uh, the love affair that they have with the Holy Spirit. Um, and I think it's in a, inappropriate. Uh, I don't, I think uh, the, early, the early church shows us that this tends to say that these guys are actually leading you astray. Okay. Um, Shouldn't we share in some of that responsibility because we don't take any action when their prophecies don't come true? That's true, Roddy. Yeah, I mean, that's by responding yeah. verbally, <laughs> even yeah. if it's without a stone, at least verbally. Yeah, well, we're not going to. You're right. We're not going to kill anybody for a false prophet, but we do have to figure out some way within our community, in our current day and age, um, to recognize what a false one would be, and then uh, to apply, I guess, a, uh, a just punishment. But you're right. We don't seem to do it. Um, if there's a date-setting type of prophet, that's easily recognizable whether they're right or wrong. But, um, you know, how would you, if they don't set a date on anything, how would you know if they're actually right or wrong? Because it may still, something may still happen into the future. Obviously, I was watching Pat Robertson give me a prophecy about the coming election. Did you guys see that? Yeah. Pat Roberts. Yeah, that's him, Pat Roberts. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. So now, so now, so now, we got him on tape. You know, if it doesn't come true, you know, we're going to have to like shut his channel down. I mean, the thing is, we won't. And and you're right, Roddy. One of the one of the problems is we 
we haven't figured out within ourselves how to actually deal with with profits. We don't know. We don't know what we should, whether we should listen to their voice, and uh, and, we, and we don't even know if we're recognizing the voice anyway. Because, um, and uh, and so it's a it's a, it's it's something that I think the enemy has come in and corrupted very very well. Is, uh, but aren't we supposed to test the spirits in that a way to tell it's a true prophecy? We are, yeah. Aaron, Aaron, may I ask a question, please? Uh, it says in Revelation, the testimony of Lord Jesus Christ is the spirit of prophecy, right? Yep. Uh, how, how do we fit this into now? Because every time we testify of Lord Jesus Christ, we witness a circle. There's prophecy in action, right? Am I correct? Say that again. Every time we test, we, we, we have a testimony of what the Lord has done for us or yeah. somebody comes to, this is literally the testimony of, of Lord Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So is it possible that now, since, since uh, Lord Jesus has been, now because we've had the Holy Spirit poured out on us, the spirit of prophecy in effect sits on every believer? Well, it should. Uh, from, from the prophet Joel that the spirit of the Lord is poured out on all flesh, males and females, Jews and Gentiles, slave and free, rich, poor, you know, um, and, and, and the, 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 the gift that's in there is prophecy. Yeah. Right? And then how do, we, so, uh, how do we... We always think that the tongues is the sign of the spirit, but the yeah. actual biblical thing is that actually prophecy is a sign of the spirit. How, how do we separate now what, what uh, Neville reminded us of Agabus, for example? He said to Paul, you're going to be put in chains. That kind of prophecy. That's, yes. Well, no, I think that's the thing we're trying to, trying to figure out. We believe that exists. And so we have to create, we have to, we have to familiarize ourselves as a community to say we're going to accept these guys that come and we're going to have to listen, but we are going to have to test. And so in... The, in the continuing in the chapter of chapter 11 of the Didache, they say, do not test or judge any prophet who speaks according to the spirit. Like, what? Why would I not do that? I thought I was in, in, in required to. But then it, immediately it says, but be warned, not everyone who speaks according to the spirit is a prophet. Okay? So, you know. Wow, we need to read that over and over. Very good. You know, so, so. Not everyone who speaks according to the Spirit is a prophet. So every now and again, one of you might have, and we, we got a special word for it, a word of the Lord, right? A word of knowledge, but that's not, that doesn't mean you're a prophet. But then it goes on. But only those who walk in the Spirit, therefore, from their consistent behavior, you can discern a false prophet. Okay? And so... One of the aspects of a prophet, just like Moses, because we remember, what, who are we looking for? Looking for someone humble. Um, we're looking for someone who you know, talks to God. And we're looking for someone who carried the law. And so uh, one of the signs of the prophet is they're also obedient to the, to the instructions of God. So... Um, they they don't have multiple wives, and they're not okay um, doing you know, whatever inappropriate things, um, and, uh, and 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 embezzling money from their institutions. Okay, uh, they've got to actually the way you can recognize or potentially recognize a prophet from the Lord is by their behavior. 
And, uh, and so and you look that at resonates with what Jesus says, that you will recognize these people by the fruit that they bear, not the just their words. Bear. Yeah, That's right. So every prophet will teach the truth, but if he doesn't practice his own words, he should be regarded as a false prophet. And, and so uh, there you go. Um, they've got a, a quite a good... Um, interesting little take in the early community as to what to deal with with prophets. They also then knew that in some cases prophets would settle uh, and they wouldn't just keep moving and walking around. So they even say um, in Chapter 13 that there is this opportunity for, for prophets to actually make up, take up residence within your community. And, uh, and then this is how you'll handle them and, and, and what you'll do. And what it comes down to is they get a portion Okay, they don't get a lot, but they do get a portion, and everybody contributes to their to their upkeep. Okay, so that you don't make them rich, but you don't make them poor, and they and they sustain there themselves. Is, that, is that's in Luke, and it actually is what Jesus sent out the apostles to do and the disciples to do, but he never called them prophets. Right. No, that's right. He doesn't call them prophets. Um, and, and they didn't call themselves prophets either. Yeah, but it's a, it's but it's incredibly similar. That okay, when so God, where is the word prophet? That what you're speaking of? Where is that in Scripture? That uh, in the New Testament that God sent out prophets, and this is what they were supposed to do. I'm I'm, I'm kind of confused on that. Okay, so the 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 the, the thought is here in Moses. Okay, as Moses is preparing his people, he's, he's telling them, okay, guys, you're going into the land. You're going to have to do all the fighting and all the hard yakker, and you're going to have to take over. And by the way, I'm dying now. And people will be like, oh, my gosh, well, we're not going to do this on our own. Um, you're right. There's going to be someone like me. Don't get nervous. There's going to come. You, God is still going to speak to you through, through prophets. He's already talked about priests and how they handle the, the society. In fact, their major role is in the judiciary. In, in Deuteronomy, Moses downplays the role of the tabernacle in communication to God. You can, the Torah is supposed to be on your heart. You don't have to go to the, the high priest with his little breastplates to figure out what's going on uh, from the Lord. He also says you're going to get a prophet. So when you get into the land, there's going to be this, it's gonna, and they're going to be like me. So it's going to be for me. It's going to be an Israelite. It's going to be like me. So there's that hope. And then that creates this role of the prophet. Which then stays. You get, you get all kinds of prophets in the in the Hebrew Bible. They often challenge kings. Uh, they don't all write books. They develop schools to figure out how to train these people. Uh, they often get put in places of darkness. They get they get put in all the bad centers. Like they're not hanging out there on the beaches of Tel Aviv, um, sunning themselves, getting a word of the Lord. Okay, they're in Jericho, they're in Bethel, they're in Moab, they're, they're in all the, 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 the nasty places. This is not a job that you want to go and do. Uh, you do it because you've definitely got uh, the power. Uh, and then that flows into the, the Second Temple period so that they exist at the time of Jesus, like the Anna the prophetess. There's still the hope that there'll be someone like Moses, which is now becoming identified in a mess messianic character. At the same time, they exist. And so in the new community, 
that you have of Jews and Gentiles, there are going to be these people called prophets. What do they do? How do we handle them? Um, and the, essentially the Bible's blank. So you've just got this little bit here. And the odd little verses like test the spirits, well, it doesn't say how. Uh, and so you, you can have a look at the Didache as an example of how the early church is, 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 is figuring out how to handle a prophet. And notice what they don't say. They don't say, and once you find the guy and he's a false prophet, kill him. Right? That, that's not in there in the Didache. So the, the, early, the early believers didn't stone false prophets. In fact, it doesn't say what you're supposed to do with them other than not listen to them. Right? Um, in in uh, Acts chapter 11, which is exactly what um, Neville said, you know, in uh, 1127, now in these days prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. Yes. One of them was named Agabus. Agabus yes. was foretold the spirit that there would be a great famine. So right. he mentioned that in Acts Yes, it, it shows itinerant prophets were hanging around and doing stuff, and that's exactly what what you find that goes on in the in the in the in the early church. With Paul even saying, "I wish you would all be doing this," right? Although we're not one hundred percent sure whether he means the itinerant prophet actually giving a special prophecy, or whether he's talking about the social aspect of prophecy. Either way, prophecy has to lead to right behavior. Okay. Aaron, it doesn't matter which also pointing out, yeah. Also worth pointing out the a more well-known phrase from Ephesians 4 about the gifts that the Lord has given to the church. So yes. uh, this is Ephesians 4. Let's read from uh, verse 10. So he who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So the, uh, Paul is giving a very high status to what is called the prophets, so which is distinct from the manifestation of the the spirit in prophecy when the community comes together. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, indeed. And uh, and so it's a gift to the body, and uh, because it's also related to the Hebrew Bible, chosen by God, right? And so therefore they have a they have a calling. They have a calling that's the same as the shepherd. And it's the core, and it's the same as the as the king. Obviously, Yeshua is all wrapped in it together, but you still have separate kings, separate pastors of churches, and separate prophets. Um, and so, in our day and age, day, day and age, we have to just like the early believers take the advice that uh, that that is coming also from 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 Moses and from uh, the apostles. And figure out what do we do with it, because this does exist in our day. We have to take it seriously. It is true. It might come from the Lord. Moses says, "You better die and listen." Well, actually, God says through Moses, "You better die and listen." But at the same time, there's also the potential that it could be a false one, uh, and we don't want to get and we don't want to get deceived. Um, we don't kill people, obviously, and they weren't doing that in the early church either. In fact, the next chapter of of um, Deuteronomy is the famous one where, where people often say, oh, my gosh, look how bloodthirsty it is. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, limb for limb. Right? And we're going to say, okay, is that really the way you're supposed to do it? And did they actually do this? And does that actually mean what it says? Uh, that's, that's something for next week.
So, Aaron, the, can I just point out one other scripture which I think is really great? Okay. This is the this the what the Lord says out of the cloud during the transfiguration, and so I'm going to read this from Luke chapter nine. Um, and a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, three things: "This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him." Mm -hmm. So three very carefully chosen phrases spoken wow. by the Lord out of the cloud. And that last one, listen to him, clearly resonates with this passage we're looking at. Yeah. In other wow. words, the, the father is saying, my son is the fulfillment of this word. Yeah. Plus, in that scripture, it talks about the two people who are in the transfiguration was Elijah and Moses, the law and the prophets. So uh, here, Connie, here, yes. Yeah, I know. I know that's the usual uh, interpretation, but okay. it's most likely not correct. That's just what Christians say, and we say it again and again and again. We've actually come to believe it's true. Um, uh, Elijah never wrote a book. But he was a prophet. But it doesn't mean that he so was, was not a prophet. Correct. So both the difference, and Moses is also a prophet. Right. And so. But it's the law, representation of the law. Sure. Uh, which later on in the New Testament says it was actually given by angels. So yeah. the Moses and, and Elijah both have a role to play in the kingdom. And so the, it's, they're not the law and the prophets. It's the messianic kingdom. I know it's it's not normally what we've heard of, and you can disagree with me intensely and go for it. Disagree with everything I just said. But um, the analogy which we always like to say is the law and the prophets actually falls a little flat when Moses is also a prophet and, and Elijah never wrote nothing. Uh, and Elisha actually does twice as much as Elijah does. Uh, the the The... They, the Elijah's there because he's the herald of the Messiah. He has a role to play. And Moses said, there's one coming like me. Right? So Moses is the one. They both have a role to play in the announcement of the kingdom. There's one like me, Moses. And Elijah's the herald of the Messiah. That's why they're there. Not representatives of it. It's, it's, I know it, it probably is something that no one wants to hear, um, but I don't think... They're the law and the prophets. That's just a, a Christian thing we do, and we do it, and we put it in our commentaries, and every single commentary at the bottom of this book has says what it is. <laughs> uh, but they're just the footnotes. But we all keep quoting each other, and it seems to somehow become uh, the truth. So, yeah, the Elijah and, and Moses are there, and, and they're just like Moses, and the Jesus, oh, God says, hear him, shma him. And Shema is also the same word for obey. Obey. So you at the you hear and obey, which is exactly what you also see in 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 any time that we get a chosen prophet of God. If the word of the Lord is sitting on his lips, then you have to do it. Okay. Do and if you don't do what he's been told command, I will hold you to account, says the Lord. And so, you know, that's a very powerful statement. Shema him. Listen and obey. Uh, uh, and what, is, what Neville said in Luke is very appropriate, huh? Very nice. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. 
Yeah. So I have a question um, for everybody collectively. How many female prophets can we think of that are listed in the scripture? Deborah. 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 Miriam. Anna. Anna. The, 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 uh, there's, there's one called Hulda. Great name. Yeah, I know. Let's name some gates after it. That sounds like fun. <laughs> <laughs> Who else? That's, those four. Who else? Got, I think there's another one. There probably is. Does that, is that, does it include people who prophesied like Elizabeth? I don't know. It's just the ones that specifically says the prophetess. Because Hulda is a prophetess. Yeah. Miriam is. Yeah. Is prophetess. Anna. Anna. Yeah. And uh, the other one we mentioned. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Deborah. Are, are you, are you, yeah. is there, a, uh, were you making a point about that? Like, no. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah. Yes, right. I'm trying to figure out what I'm missing. I, four of them doesn't seem to be enough. And David's question was appropriate. Um, Isaiah's wife is called a prophetess. Who, who's this? Isaiah's wife. Ah, okay. You have this lovely euphemism. It says he drew near to the prophetess and she conceived. Thank you. That's <laughs> lovely. Yeah. Do we know her name? No, I don't think so. Just Isaiah's wife. Isaiah. Mrs. Prophet. <laughs> so, guys, we have, we have the... Deborah. Yeah. We have the uh, injunction from, hey, Shalom Nama. Uh, we have the injunction from Moses that uh, there, there will be these prophets. There's going to be a prophet, which is, is the Messiah, is Yeshua. Then there's going to be these things called prophets. They can speak the word of the Lord. We do have to listen to them, so we're going to have to be careful. And, uh, and, and we do have a history uh, in the early early church writings, not only in the book of Acts, but also in the in words like the Didache, they give us some assistance in figuring out the right behavior when dealing with prophets within our community, if we would actually put that into practice. And I think it would be better if we did. I think um, uh, as a community of believers, we have the spirit of God in our midst. We want to present the truth uh, to the world. So we have to be careful when people running around and keep saying, um, here is a word of the Lord. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the issues that is always going to be around when someone says a word of the Lord is the word of the Lord is the word of the Lord. Is that true? So if someone comes and says the word of the Lord, should we write it down and add it to the end of Revelation? No. <laughs> right, it gets very complicated all of a sudden. We're like, well, exactly what is this thing? Um, so we, we do have to be careful. We, and, I, and I think that um, uh, I think Connie had it right at the start when she, when she asked the question, you're like, what, who is this guy like Moses? He is both the humble man, the redeemer, and, 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 he's, um, and he's a lawgiver. So he actually, he walks the talk, um, and which actually really should be all of us, if all of us would like to have this spirit of prophecy. So we need to um, encourage each other to continue to, to um, walk the talk. All right, any other questions on relation to this, uh, the one like Moses?
is supposed to come. In, in, in the beginning of the context, remember, it was the Canaanites would look for these visions and they would seek these seers. We don't do that. We get our visions of the Lord from, from prophets. Uh, and that includes Jesus and Moses and all the other prophets and the ones that exist in our community. We don't go seeking uh, the, a word of the Lord from any other source. Okay, Because the danger is it will be um, the false source. That's demonic. All right. Okay, guys. Thank you very much, Aaron. And Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.